Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Gypsy. Uh, so we've spent three weeks looking at the account of Jesus with the Samaritans. As, as Matt said, uh, they received him. Right? It really uh, could not have gone better with the Samaritans. And if you don't know, if you weren't here, it's all right. The, the Samaritans, um, they, were, they were considered half-breeds by the Jews. They were despised um, religiously. They, they had a mix of like Judaism and then some foreign gods. They, they had weird religious practices. They, um, they had a part of the Old Testament, but not the whole thing. So they, there was an awareness that Messiah, that a Messiah was going to come, but they really didn't know much, certainly not nearly as much as, as the Jews knew. And yet Jesus meets this Samaritan woman. She believes. She tells other people they believe a bunch of people come to meet Jesus. They, they get him to stay a couple days. Many, many Samaritans respond to Jesus. They say in verse 42 of chapter 4, said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So they believed. They, they just met Jesus. They heard what he had to say, and they believed. No miracles, nothing crazy. They, they, they just met Christ, heard what he had to say, and, and they responded to him by believing. So now he's heading to Jewish territory, right? It's gone well in foreign land. How's it going to go now with, with the Jews? Verse 43 says, After two days he departed for Galilee. And then verse 44, again, we have the parentheses. We talked about this. John throws in a lot of parentheses because there's, there's things... He wants us to understand, and this is one of those things. He thinks this is really important. So he says, he says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. That's a, it seems like a weird thing to say. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Well, why does he say that? Well, it starts with F-O-R, right? For. So why is that there? Just before that, it said he departed for Galilee for Jesus. Jesus himself had testified that the prophet has no honor in his own town. This is the reason he went, is what it's saying. He's going because a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Does that seem strange to you? You're all just staring at me. Nate went like this. Yes. It's weird. Okay, I've been trying to think of a time in my life where I wanted to go somewhere where people didn't like me. Right? And I can't even think of a time where I willingly was just like, yeah, none of those people like me. I'm going. Let's do this. That's weird. Right? It, it, it's so bizarre, and, and yet it says that, that, that that's why he went. Well, we go back to John 1.11. See, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is how it goes with, with, with Jesus. So often with the Jews, he's, he's coming to his own people. They don't receive him, right? They're going to reject him. Over and over again, he's going to offer himself to them, and they're not going to believe. Not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans responded. They believed, but, but they're not going to believe. And, and ultimately, this will lead him to the cross, which we know this is why he came. Right? He, he came to, to, to be the sacrifice, to be the, the substitution for the sins of the world. He came to die for them. And Jesus is not like us. Verse 45. 
So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. What? <laughs> if you paid attention to verse 44, it just said, Jesus himself testified the prophet has no honor in his own hometown, right? This is Jesus of Nazareth, right, from Galilee. And yet it says that the Galileans welcomed him here. So right off the bat, there's like head scratcher after head scratcher. Like, John, what are you doing here? What are you saying? Well, why did they welcome him? It says, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So there's something that happened when he's in Jerusalem at the feast that they saw because they were there. And, and that's why they're welcoming him. They're excited based on what they saw. So we go back to chapter 2, verses 23 and following. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So they believed when they saw signs. And how did Jesus respond to that? Verse 24, it says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. People believe, and yet Jesus didn't entrust himself to him because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So they, they believed because of the signs, and yet Jesus doesn't accept this faith. And it says because he knew what was in them. He, he knew that this was an excitement about miracles that he did. Right? They, they were welcoming him because they saw the miracles. They were at the feast. They're at the feast, and, and they hear this guy's doing some amazing things. There are miracles going on. And then then someone goes, wait a second. Isn't that Jesus? Jesus from Nazareth? Right? Joseph, Mary's son? We know him. And people are getting excited. People that didn't know him, like, man, who is this guy? And then the people from Galilee are like, oh, we know him. I grew up down the street from Jesus. Yeah, we used to play after school or whatever they did. Like, I know that guy. And they start to claim him as, as, as their own. Like, I'm connected to him. We're from the same place. Our moms hang out. We know that guy. So, so there's this belief here based on the, the miracles, but it's, it's a bandwagon belief. And, and we see that today. We see people that, that are ready to accept certain things about Jesus. They love to talk about Jesus' love. Jesus, grace, forgiveness, mercy, right? They'll, they'll latch on to those things and claim that Jesus. But they won't embrace Jesus when we talk about Jesus as a just judge. When we talk hell, when we talk punishment, when we talk sin or specific sins. And over and over again in the Gospel of John, we're going to see people have this belief that's shallow. It doesn't appear to be really rooted and, and, and they'll abandon Jesus. This happens in, in John chapter 6. Jesus, uh, he just, I'm not going to give it away because we'll be there in a few weeks, but he, he, he teaches some hard things. He said some really, really hard things. And then it says in, in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They, they abandoned him. So, so when John says the Galileans welcomed him, did they welcome him? Well, yes. Yes, they did. One commentator wrote that, that, uh, that this is with deep irony that John writes this in his gospel. Because this welcoming, was, they were welcoming the show that was Jesus. They were welcoming the miracle worker. They were not welcoming 
Jesus himself. They, they just wanted to see more of what he had done. What we find as we work through this gospel, that those closest to Jesus often wanted what he could do for them instead of actually wanting Jesus himself. But by his grace, even some of those, Jesus will draw to himself. He, he will stir up in them belief. So I think we have to ask ourselves as, as we're in this passage, what is it that draws me to Jesus? What is it that draws you to Jesus? If you follow him, why? What is it that makes you want to follow Christ? I think of 1 John four nineteen. says, why do I love? It's because Jesus first loved me, right? I remember when I found this verse, um, because for years, people ask, like, so why do, you, why do you love Jesus? I'm like, well, he, he loved me first. Like, what else am I going to do? And it's not like, it's, that almost sounds like a middle schooler's response. No offense, middle schoolers, you're in the room today. I realized, sorry. Um, but w- when I was in middle school, my first girlfriend, Molly, I don't even remember her last name. We were really close. Molly, <laughs> I remember my buddy came up to me. He goes, Greg, Molly likes you. I'm like, What? who is Molly? This is great. Right? I had no idea who this girl was. And he's like, oh yeah, we're in whatever period together. She sits in the third row. She wears that thing in her hair. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. He goes, do you like her? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Right? So we dated or we're going out or whatever. Right? We held hands once. Um, talked on the phone a lot. It was weird. Um, Anyway, so, so it's not like that. Like Jesus first, he, it's clear, Scripture's clear that God's the one that pursues us. Gary's talking a couple of weeks ago, but the Father is seeking, right? God pursues us. And, and, and when God reveals himself to us, reveals his love to us, the natural response is that we love him. It just, it's the only thing that makes sense when, when we're confronted with who Jesus is. And this God loves us. So what draws you to Jesus? Is it, is it what he can offer you? Is it, is it what he can do? Do you, do you want his stuff? Psalm 27, 4, the psalmist says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He says, there's just one thing that I want. One thing I ask, God, is that, that I could dwell with you, that I, could just, that I could just gaze, I could stare, I could just be in awe of who you are. That's all, that's all I want. So we come to this passage, after seeing the response of the Samaritans, and after hearing the, the Jews welcomed him, but, but there's some tongue-in-cheek there, right? It's, it's based on the signs and wonders that they accept him, that they believe in him, what's, what's going to happen Verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he'd made the water wine. This happened back in chapter 2, the first miracle that John shows us about Jesus. Jesus goes to Cana. He's at the wedding. They run out of wine. His mom comes to him. Words are exchanged. Jesus ends up making wine. And of course, it's the best wine, right? If Jesus is going to make wine, it's going to be awesome. Jesus makes this incredible wine. The bride doesn't know how it happened. The bridegroom doesn't know the master ceremonies, the the parents, mother bride. Nobody knows. The disciples know. Jesus knows. Mary knows. But the servants know too. And eventually, the word gets out and people start talking. People find out that they ran out of wine, and this guy named Jesus made this incredible wine. 
And then somebody that was at the party was like, man, I told you that wine was amazing. I knew it. That was incredible. And they're thinking, man, Jesus, I wonder, I wonder if we could get him to do that at our wedding. Maybe we could get him to do that at our whatever thing that's going on. People are excited about Jesus. And it says, and I always say the name of this place right, but Gypsy said it right. Capernaum. I don't know. Capernaum. Ah, dang it. I hate that word. <laughs> Capernaum is what I'm going to call it. Uh, there was, I practice too. That's what stinks. Um, at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill, right? So an official, what does that mean? So this word generally is, is connected to a king. And if that's the case, then, then this guy probably worked for Herod. Um, Herod wasn't technically a king, but, but he was viewed as, as a king. If you don't know about Herod, he was a bad guy. Like, just a rotten, rotten guy. He, uh, he was married, and then he fell in love with his brother's wife. Um, and, and then so they both divorced their, their spouse to marry each other. John the Baptist finds out, and he calls him out. And he doesn't just do it once. He does it over and over again. It's like, that is sin. That is so wrong that you do that. So eventually, Herod and his wife, they're like, we got to take care of this. So they throw him in. They get him thrown in jail, right? And, and then eventually, he's, he's beheaded. Um, not a good guy. And this is, this is probably the guy that this official works for. And, and it says that, that his son was, was ill. So how is this guy who's among a people that, that are about signs and wonders, how will he respond to Jesus? And even if you're not a parent, you, I'm sure, can imagine what it's like to have a, a child that's really, really, really sick, right? We've never, Lindsay and I haven't had uh, a kid get like, deathly ill before, but I do remember um, just a couple years ago, we, we adopted Maddie. She was 14 months old when, uh, when she came uh, to be a part of our family. That summer, so just a few months later, we were, we were going on a road trip, or not a road trip, but we're, we're driving away six hours, I think, to go visit family, a uh, little vacation. And the night before, Maddie wasn't feeling too well. She just wasn't herself. She had a little fever, but it wasn't crazy. We handled it with uh, some ibuprofen and Tylenol. Uh, next morning, she, she didn't seem totally herself, but it seemed like she was okay, uh, good enough to go. So we're driving, and maybe an hour or so into it, uh, her, her fever just takes off again, and, uh, and she starts, like, shaking, too. And, and, you know, we didn't, I mean, we knew things about her medical history, but we didn't, she's brand new to us, right? So there are all these questions going in your head, and, and, and the shaking wasn't seizures, but that's where your, your dad heart just goes. So I was in the, the passenger seat. I, like, transitioned to the back. I'm holding her. Her fever's going crazy. I'm on my phone trying to find the nearest hospital, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared, right? Like, I'm scared for my daughter, and I just want to get her help. And we, we get her to the doctor, and it ends up just being an ear infection. That's all it was. It was nothing big. But it was, it was terrifying in the moment to see your daughter, and you think, like, what is going on with her? So we, we, we can relate to this man, right? This man, he's desperate. He, he feels like he doesn't have control. He, he just wants his son to be better. He's just looking for someone that can do that for him. I'm sure he's exhausted every medical person in town, and, and the next town, and maybe the next town beyond that. In verse 47, it says, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. He heard that he was there, and now he has hope. He, he'd heard some of the things that Jesus had done. Maybe he even talked to some eyewitnesses of, of, of miracles. So he, 
he went to him and it says he asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. He comes to Jesus with one request. Will you come with me and heal my son? He, he, he's, not, he's not talking to Jesus about eternal life. He's not talking about his sin. He doesn't say, I want to be your disciple. He just says, my boy's dying and I need you to come. I need you to heal him because I've tried everything. I, I, I cannot fix this problem. So how will Jesus respond? Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you, and, and the you here is, is plural, right? Like I could say you, uh, I could say you to one person or I could say you to multiple people. In our language, you can't, you can't tell the difference without the context and without seeing it. But, but here in the Greek, it's, it's, it is plural. So he's not just talking to the man, but he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This man Desperate, desperate father came to Jesus, says, will you come and heal my son? And Jesus gives a rebuke here. Right? This isn't, my guess is this isn't how we imagine Jesus. Even though you've probably read this story, we don't imagine Jesus when he's interacting with a dad who's desperate for his son's life to throw out a rebuke, and yet that's what Jesus does here. And, and, and some people think that this is, this is a test to see how this man will respond. But he says, you guys just want signs and wonders. That's what you believe in. The, the Samaritans, they didn't need signs and wonders. They just believed my word. And John, we're going to see this over and over again, that, that, that there's belief connected to the signs and wonders, but often that belief is is shallow and it's, it's fleeting. It erodes. So how will this man respond? Jesus just called you out. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He essentially just repeats his request again to Jesus. And again, we don't see anything that tells me he's interested in who Jesus is. I don't see anything that tells me that he, he, he's interested in salvation I don't even see anything that, that tells me he's interested in, in seeing a sign. He just wants his boy healed. And Jesus, multiple times in Luke, talks uh, about persistence in, in, in coming to God and asking God. In Luke 18, there's the story that Jesus tells of the persistent widow. In Luke 11, there's a story Jesus tells. He, he says that this guy comes knocking on his neighbor's door at midnight. He says, hey, I need three loaves of bread. I've got guests from out of town I didn't expect. I have no food. And the guy yells like, go to bed, right? I'm in bed. My kids are asleep. I'll give you bread in the morning. You don't need it now. And the guy keeps knocking on the door. No, I need bread. And Jesus says, he's not going to give them the bread because they're buddies. He's going to give them the bread because he just keeps asking. He says, ask God. Ask God. Your, your, your father is a good father. He's going to give you. So there's something about about asking God. So what will Jesus do here in verse 50? Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man asked, come down before my child dies. Jesus responds, go, your son will live. Jesus didn't need to go to heal this boy. He, he spoke, and as we'll see, the boy was healed. 
And what's incredible is the man believed. It says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He didn't question him. He didn't, he didn't clarify anything. He, he believed and, and he went home to go see his son. And obviously, we weren't there. We didn't get to hear like the authority in Jesus' voice when he said, go, your son will live. We didn't get to hear the unwavering confidence that Jesus had. I'm sure that that was powerful. But God takes what's going on in this guy's life, this official's life, and and he starts belief in him. I think that's what we're seeing here. I think we're seeing the beginning of belief in this man, this man who, who came and he had no interest in, in Jesus and God that we can see, right? All he wanted was his, his son to get better. And yet God uses these circumstances as he so often does. He uses terrible things so often to get our attention. This man comes to Jesus and he ends up leaving, believing in Jesus. He goes home. He's got a 15, maybe 16-mile walk home, and he's, he's trusted God. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask Jesus to say it again. He didn't ask him to prove it. He, he just believed. It reminds me, um, reminds me of Abraham and, and Isaac, and you, you may remember that story where, where God tells Abraham, you're going to sacrifice Isaac to me. And, and Abraham believes. He believes that, that somehow God is going to work this out. Whether God's going to raise Isaac from the dead or, or provide another sacrifice, he doesn't know, but he believes. And he's walking with his son in, in this belief, in this faith. I'm sure he had questions. How's God going to do this? God said he'd do this. I trust him, but how is he going to do this? And we see this, this man's walking home, 15, 16 miles. That is a long walk home, and he believes And I'm sure he's wondering, how will God do this? Verse 51, it says, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So he he hears that his son's recovering, his son's getting better. And he he wants to know, when did it happen? Because he wants to know if it happened when Jesus said it would, right? Belief had started, and yet he he wants that, 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 that fire of belief stoked in him. Right? He wants that belief cemented, and, and here God does that. It, it's confirmed. No, when Jesus said it, that's, that's when it happened. It says in 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And it says, and he himself believed in all his household. And, and, and I don't want us to miss God's glorious power in this. Right? When Jesus spoke 15, 16 miles away, he speaks. The son was dying, and something biologically happens in the son so that he recovers, and he's now getting better, right? There's so many stories. When I think about Jesus healing, so often I think about Jesus' touch, right? And, and, and I think this man assumed that Jesus had to be there. That's why he said twice, come with me. Come and heal my son. Jesus is not limited, right? We we have limits. We know limits. I, it, it, these superhero movies, I don't know if you're into those or not, um, but 
I, I grew up, I didn't read comic books, so all the superhero stuff is kind of weird to me. But they're a big thing right now. My kid likes them. So I go see it, and I'm watching one recently, and I'm like, there are no rules to how any of this works. Some guy has a stone, and now he can do something crazy with it. Like, absolutely no rules in this, right? And, and it's because I live in a world where if I drop my phone... Gravity takes it, right? I didn't want to drop it, drop it. Um, Gravity takes my phone because that's how it works. We're limited, and Jesus is not limited, right? Jesus didn't need to touch her. He spoke words. He made a decision, and she, or she, uh, he was healed. And it, it happened instantly. It happened right when Jesus spoke those words. I also don't want to miss God's grace in, in all of this, that, that he would use something as horrible as your, his, the guy's son dying to draw this man into him. He wasn't seeking anything. The father was seeking him. This guy wasn't seeking God. And, and yet, yet God uses this to save not only himself, but the, the family, the household. He ends up being more like the Samaritan than, than the sign seekers from, from Jesus' own home turf. Our, our, our truth statement today uh, is up on the screen here. It says, although people closest to Jesus often don't honor him for who he is, but seek him for what he can do. And I want to make, that's kind of long. What I'm trying to say there is, uh, even though the people that are often closest to Jesus, they, they just want from him. They, they don't want, they don't want him. They just want from him. They, they don't, they don't care about who he is. And then it says, some of these Believe in him because of his powerful life-giving word. So even though, as we'll see over and over again in the book of John, even though the people that seem the closest, they're actually, they're light years apart from Jesus. They, they seem like they're close, but they just want him for what he can do, for what he offers. They, they don't want him for who he is. And even then, by God's grace, he still will save some of those people. Many will come to believe. So what makes it so hard for those who are close to Jesus to believe? And there's, there's probably a lot of things you could take from this passage. There's a, a couple here that I'm going to give you three, and one I ripped off from somebody else. Um, so three ways that we can be like those who thought they were really close to Jesus, but, but they were far. Um, the, the first is you're just interested in what Jesus can do for you. Right? Jesus is, is like a genie in a bottle for you. There, there's a story uh, also in Luke uh, called the prodigal, uh, and, and you probably, maybe you know it. Um, Jesus, Jesus says there's a man. He had two sons. I'm going to give you the quick version. He had two sons. The youngest son comes to the father, and, and he says, I want my inheritance. I want it now. Right? He, he says to the father, Basically, I wish you were dead. I just want my stuff from you, and I want it now. And the father, you'd think he'd like cold cock him in the face. But no, the father says, okay. He sells off whatever chunk would have been his inheritance. Gives it to the son. The son goes off to a distant land, and he says he, he just lives wildly. Prostitutes, partying, like not good. He blows all the money. After, after some amount of time, he blows all the money. He goes, he's working for a pig farmer. He's feeding pigs. He's so desperate and hungry that he, he, he catches himself wanting what the pigs are eating. And it says he comes to his senses, comes to his senses and, and, and realizes, I got to go talk to my dad. Like even his servants have plenty. I'm going to go on my hands and knees, crawling back to my dad, begging him to take me back, make me a servant. That would be better than this. So, so he goes, 
He, he goes back. Dad sees him from a distance. Dad books it as soon as he sees him, runs to his son, embraces him. The son is, is, is trying to get out his spiel, his apology that he's probably rehearsed the whole way home to his dad. Dad's halfway listening. Dad doesn't care. His son was lost, and now he's found. Dad takes his own robe and, and, and covers the son. He covers his, his dirtiness, his sin, his shame. He calls to his servants. He says, get the fattened calf. My son who was lost is found. We're going to party, right? And they get the music going. And it's this, it's this wild, not wild, but exciting, <laughs> holy party, <laughs> right? They're celebrating that he is back. The son, the younger son, just wanted the stuff. Is that what we want from Jesus? Do we, do we just want his, his stuff? Do we just want what he can do for us? Do we just go to Jesus when, when we're sick? Right? Do we, we go to Jesus when we lose a job? Or there's a financial crisis or, or you're desperate in some way. That's the first dangerous way that we can be like those who appear close to Jesus but are far. The second, the second is, is we're too comfortable we're too, too familiar. We're just, we're used to Jesus. We're used to him. Like that shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. I thought that was pretty funny the first time I saw it. And the more I think about it, I'm like, that's a cruddy shirt. Because I, I think too many of us see Jesus that way. We're almost numb to Jesus. Like, like the people from Galilee, I know that guy. I saw him grow up. Or it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a kid whose dad owns the business. Right? And the employees, they all see the kid grow up. Right? They see his snotty little nose. They see the, the things he did, and they had to pretend like they thought it was cute because dad's the boss. And then one day, one day the kid's grown up. He's got his college degree, and, and dad hires him for a pretty high-up position, and nobody likes it. Everybody's like, man, no way. You are a little punk. I know you. Right? We, 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 get, we get too familiar with Jesus in a bad way. The awe is gone. We're, we're numb. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years. You can quote chunks of the Bible. You know what Jesus is going to do before we even read it. You, you come, you're doing your Bible read through. You, you come to a pastor, you're like, I've read this. I've heard a sermon on this. I podcasted this three, three years ago. You're so familiar with church, familiar with scripture. You're so familiar with Jesus that you really aren't open to anything that Jesus would do. Maybe you don't even want him to do anything. You certainly don't expect him to do anything. The third way is you feel like you have a special in with Jesus and, and that like he owes you, right? That, that somehow Jesus owes you because you have been so faithful or whatever. And immediately, if, if you're sitting in church, you know, well, that's not right. Like, that's not, that's not grace. And in, in the story of the prodigal, that's what we see in the older brother. The older brother, he hears he hears the party going on. He comes in from the field. He asks the servant, what's going on? He finds out, younger brother's back. Dad said, fat, uh, kill the fattened calf. We're throwing a party. He was lost. Now he's found. He's like, no way. That's ridiculous. He won't even go into the party. The dad has to come out and talk to him. And he, he, says, he says to the older brother, your son's back. We thought he was dead. He's back. And the older brother, it says he, he's, he's indignant. He's so upset. He says, all these years I've been serving you. I've been faithfully working in the fields all these years, and you never killed a fattened calf for me. You never threw a party for me. He thought the father owed him. 
because he'd been a hard worker. He'd been faithful. And so how, how do we know if this is happening in us? Well, it usually comes when, when, when something goes really wrong. Usually something substantial. Maybe, maybe some hope or expectation you had in life that you're banking on and it goes the exact opposite direction, or, or some tragedy hits, someone gets diagnosed with something, or, or a financial crisis, and, and you realize that you're mad at God. And you're mad at God because you feel like he owes you, because you've been faithful, because you kicked that sin habit, because you're generous, you help people, you're good at loving people all the time. The brother felt like he was owed something. Do you feel like Jesus owes you something? We're going to open up and have a time of prayer. We'll open the back doors just like we did the last couple of weeks. And, and if, you, if you relate to any one of these or, or, or want prayer for anything else, maybe you feel numb to Jesus. You've been going to church for a long time. You're used to the status quo with Jesus, but you really don't expect that he's going to do anything. right? You, you don't expect that he'll work in any powerful ways, that he'll bring about anything in your life or anyone else's life. And maybe you don't even want him to. Because things are so comfortable right now, you hope he doesn't change anything on you. Or maybe you want to believe, right? Like, like this man, belief has started, but you want more. Like you want more and you don't, you don't know what to do. Go back and, and pray with, with someone on our prayer team. Or maybe you recognize that, yeah, sometimes I feel like God owes me. Sometimes I do stuff thinking that if I do this, then, then God will do something for me. If you want prayer for any of those things or any other thing, we'll have, we'll have the prayer team back there as, as we sing. We're going to sing one song uh, together uh, before we take communion. And then after that one song, um, we have some guys that are going to come up and we'll serve communion. And they'll say to you, body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ shed for you. And you can take the elements, um, take them back to your seat. And whenever you want, you can partake in those. But we'll take this first song all together um, to, to prepare our hearts. The band can come on up. Um, you can receive prayer at any time as, as we sing, just to make that clear. But let me pray. Jesus, God, you are glorious. Lord, I confess that in my own life, uh, I'm guilty of just running to you when when things are hard, when I want something, Lord. I'm guilty of really thinking you, you aren't going to do anything. And sometimes that even keeps me from asking because I don't want to be disappointed, Lord, if you don't. I thank you for the example of, of this official. He didn't know you, but he'd heard stuff about you. And he went to you and he's persistent. He just asked, would you do this one thing? Jesus, I thank you for your grace in his life to bring about belief in him, not just to heal his son, but to, to save him and his whole household. Lord, would you stir in us belief? God, would you grow us in our belief? Jesus, would we be a people that are faithful to you, Lord? It's in your name we pray, amen.